Well, good morning. You're wondering why we're here together. My name is Heather Plank. I'm the communications director. This is the last week of the Hot Seat series, and we I'm up here with Pastor Adam to really uh, put him on the spot with the last of your questions. These are the ones you submitted that didn't fit neatly into any of the topics that we discussed the last few weeks, so we're going to cover a very wide range of topics this morning while we address the last year questions. Are you ready, Pastor Adam? I think so. All right. I feel like I'm on a game show. <laughs> Hope I win. <laughs> I do have prizes later, so. Okay, first question. How do we help those suffering from depression and mental illness? And I do have to say thank you to whoever submitted that question because I think that this is a very important question that is not often talked about uh, but it needs to be addressed. And if anywhere that it should be addressed, it should be addressed within the church. Uh, and, I mean, for generations, the church has been leading the way. As far, I mean, the church, if you go back in history, they started hospitals. They, they were the ones that said, let's care for people in need. And so I think it can, needs to continue to be something that's not just about us, but we're looking at how we can help other people. So thank you to whoever submitted that because I think it's a, a very important question. And I will be honest, uh, it is just coming to, to my knowledge of how important this question is over the last couple of years. I mean, I might have been where many of you may have been of just like, oh, come on, you know, get over it or whatever. But here within these last couple of years, it's become more and more of a reality of people that I love and I care about uh, are, are dealing with issues of mental illness. And in the past, we've just kind of put this stigma on it of crazy, and that's not, that's not the case at all. I've got a really, really good friend who's helped me through difficult times, but in the midst of him helping me through those difficult times, he expressed to me just his, his struggle with mental illness, with depression, that even sometimes can be debilitating. And uh, so I think that it's very important that we really look at it and we don't just say, get over it. Um, any of you here that have struggled with back pain in your life? I know that's a totally different thing, but that's the point. Back pain can totally take you out of the equation where you can't function, you can't relate to other people clearly because it's just affecting everything that you do. That being said, I've had several friends that have had back pain as well in my life, and I've, I've had a little bit of back pain every once in a while, but never really struggled with it. And so there were times when I thought, oh, just come on, man. Don't use your back pain as an excuse. But those few times I've had just a hint of back pain, I realized how damaging that it can be to everything that we do. Mental illness is the same way. It's not physical. It doesn't necessarily show up in pain or have a fever, but it's, it's the same way. So my answer to how the church can help with mental illness is simply this, better. I think that we need to help better as we continue to move forward, the church as a whole, capital C, but also us as a local faith community, I think we need to do better at how we address mental illness. In the past, I think we've looked at it in three ways. I made a little list here. Uh, we've looked at mental illness as just being demonic. In other words, let's just pray and you get over it, right? And I do believe in prayer and I do believe in healing and I do believe that God can deliver you from things, but sometimes it's a little more complicated than just pray and you're done with it, right? We've also looked at mental illness as just psychobabble, right? Okay, you're not really depressed. You're just using that as an excuse. Uh, it's not really a mental disorder. 
And so the antidote there is just you need to repent, get right with God, and then let's move on. Or the third option of a way that we look at mental illness is that it's a psychological disorder. It can be a chemical imbalance in our brain. And just like when anything else in our body is out of balance or not the way that it should be, it needs to be treated. It needs to be addressed. And so I think that as a church, how do we help people with mental illness? I look at it the same way. How do we help people who are suffering with back pain? How do we help people who are suffering with the flu? How do we help people who are suffering with cancer? We care about them. We love them. We pray for them. We walk with them through it, whether it's a short period of time or it may be a long period of time. But I think as a community of God, the answer is we love people. We don't give up on people uh, because we all need hope and we're all going to need help in our lives. Paul addressed a struggle that he couldn't get past himself. We don't know exactly what it was, but he said this in, in, um, in uh, this 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. There we go. Yeah. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made, per- for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Bottom line is, I think we need to help each other in our times of weakness, in our times of need, even when it comes to mental illness. Good answer. The New Testament is full of instruction on how to live a Christ-like life. But sometimes that feels like an impossible standard for us imperfect humans. So here's the question. How do I know if I'm good enough or doing enough for God to be pleased with me? This isn't a question of salvation. Just how do I know if I'm pleasing God? I think that's a great question because I think all of us at some point, if we're trying to follow God... We wonder that ourselves. Am, is the way I'm living, am I pleasing God? And I think really it's a matter of perspective. In other words, how you look at God determines a lot of the answer of this question. Because how you see God determines how you think God sees you. And so sometimes we look at God through these lenses of, well, God must not be pleased with me because I'm not doing everything right And really, a lot of times that comes back to how we actually view ourselves, right? A lot of times it may be that we're not pleased with ourselves, so how in the world could God be pleased with us if I'm not even pleased with myself? Uh, We see ourselves based on the question of, is what I'm doing good enough for God? And the real issue here is, how how do you think God sees you? Here's my answer. God is infinitely pleased with you, not because of what you have done, because God doesn't see you through a checklist, but because of who you are. Colossians 3, 3 tells us that we are hidden in Christ. In other words, when God looks at you as a believer, he sees Christ and he is pleased with Christ and you are hidden in Christ. So whether you've blown it this week whether you're not quite the person yet you want to be, whether you still have things that you need to work on, the answer is yes, God is pleased with you 
Because when he sees you, he doesn't see your list of right and wrongs. God sees Christ when he, he sees you. Uh, Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Discipline of Grace, wrote this. Our worst days are never so bad that we are beyond the reach of God's grace. And our best days are never so good that we are beyond God's need for grace. The need of God's grace, excuse me. Romans 8, 38 and 39, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, it says this. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate me from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Even, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above nor the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So because of Christ, God is infinitely pleased with us and there's nothing that we can do or could be done to us that will separate us from that love. Is your seat feeling warm yet? Yeah, it's pretty warm. I'm about to turn up the heat a little. Next question. Am I supposed to tithe? Mm. See, there's the hot seat question. So on that note, I'm going to go ahead and interrupt the message here with a commercial break, if you don't mind. So here's your commercial break. I really am. Uh, we, we are in a transition, as many of you know, with our children's ministry, base camp. And... Uh, Absolutely 100%, our children having a strong biblical foundation is of utmost importance to us. And so in the meantime, as we're transitioning uh, and searching for a new children's director, uh, we have been kind of piecing things together and learning what all we need to do kind of on the fly. And one thing I discovered this week is that we need more volunteers Ideally, you would only have to volunteer one time a month. And so really what I need is about 10 to 12 people who could volunteer once a month with our babies, with our preschoolers, with our elementary age kids. And so if you are up for that challenge, I would encourage you to see someone at our connecting table after the service or see me and uh, we would love to get you connected so that we can have a strong children's ministry going forward. Okay, next question. You still have to answer the question. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, tithing, it is important, but just the mere mention of that word already puts some of you in a defensive posture, right? Because just saying the word tithe, you already feel my hand creeping into your wallet and trying to get as much money out of it as possible. And really, when it comes down to it, that is not what this is about at all. So I hope I hope I can address this quickly but succinctly uh, as much as I can here in just a few minutes and kind of give us a perspective on that that might help all of us. Right off the bat, the problem that we have with this question is it's a rules question. You're saying for me to be approved by God, I have to give you my money. And again, I want you to remember the last question we just had. When God sees you, he sees Jesus, and there's nothing that can separate you from that. When it comes to giving, tithing, our generosity, God puts spiritual practices in our lives that are good for us. They have a purpose 
for us and for the greater work of the cause of Christ. There are things in our lives that are good for us. I went to a baseball game yesterday, a beep baseball game, baseball game for blind people. It was really awesome to watch. But I did not put on sunscreen. So today I am feeling the pain of that. Sunscreen is good for me. But you could tell me, Adam, you have to put it on, and I'm going to be defensive about that. I'm only going to be out there for a little bit, right? I don't need to put it on. And whenever we feel like there's a, 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 an, an emphasis saying you have to do this, we get a little bit defensive. So I hope that we can address this here because it's really a big deal for people, right? There's a lot of people who will not step foot inside of a church because of this question right here. Because they feel like as a pastor, as a church, we're after your money. And that's not the case at all. And if God is after your money, then you don't want to have anything to do with him. You go to work with people like that. You, you live in the neighborhood with people like that. You may have some of those, own, uh, those feelings yourself. So let me stop him hawing and get around to the question here. Uh, I would never tell you that you have to tithe. And here's the reason why I say that. It's because the Bible says that you should never be manipulated into tithing. So when I say I would never tell you you have to, just like I would never tell you you have to wear sunscreen, you have to go to the doctor, I'm not going to tell you you have to do that. But at the same time, I have seen the benefits over and over and over and over again of trusting God with what he has given me. So is there benefit to me wearing sunscreen? Absolutely. Is there benefit to me trusting the Lord with my finances? Absolutely. But we don't give because we feel manipulated to give. Um, I really like looking at this through the lens, maybe a different word that might help you a little bit. Instead of tithe, I want you to look at it through the lens of generosity. And I truly believe that generous people are the most happy people in the world. Generosity has nothing to do with how much money you have in your bank account, right? You know generous people who are poor. You know generous people who are wealthy. Generosity has all to do with your heart, not how much money you have. And when it comes to our giving, it's about generosity. Now, when we say the word tithe, we don't necessarily look at it through the lens of generosity because we feel like it's an obligation and a rule. And for good reason, because in the Old Testament, it was a rule. It was law. If you are a believer, if you're a Jewish person, you have to tithe. To honor God and to sustain the work of God, it said for you to be in right standing with God, you have to tithe. I went through a period of time in my life where I was like, so whoever made up the rule of 10%, right? I mean, how can you say 10% when I, why can't my tithe be something else? And then I did just about 10 seconds worth of study on it. And I found out, oh, tithe means 10th. You see the root words there, right? Tithe literally means of anything. A tithe of my cup of coffee means 10% of my cup of coffee. And in the Old Testament, it often wasn't money. It was their harvest. It was whatever income and resources they had. They brought a tithe of that to the storehouse, to the people of God. It says in Malachi 3, uh, chapter 3, verses, uh, verse 10, it says, Bring all the tithes to the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. 
If you do, says the Lord of the heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven to you. I will pour out blessings so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. This is the one place in scripture where God basically says, I dare you. You want to see what happens. He says, you honor God in this place and you're going to see the blessings of God. I dare you to try it. Now, that's the Old Testament. That's under the old law. Jesus shows up in the New Testament and he fulfills the law. It doesn't say he abolishes the law or does away with it, but he fulfills it. And so there's no longer a need for animal sacrifices. A lot of the the festivals are now, they're no longer needed to be in right standing with God. However, when Jesus shows up, he doesn't do away with the law. In many ways, he enhances it. In uh, Matthew 23, 23, he reaffirms the tithe. He says this, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites, you are careful to tithe even, even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Jesus is speaking to these guys who only see the rules. And they're looking at it and saying, you've got to tithe, you've got to tithe, you've got to tithe. Jesus shows up and says, yes, you should tithe. But there are things that are a lot more important than that. The way you live your life and treat other people are even more important than that. And then Jesus raises the bar in all that he does. And he says, if you want to give, you give all that you are. You die to yourself and you follow me. Then we end up in the book of Acts and you see believers who give everything because they're following after God and they're getting on this movement called the church and they're giving everything. In Acts chapter 5, we see a couple named Ananias and Sapphira and they decide, hey, we want to give too. So they bring part of it. They say that it's all of it, but they keep some to themselves and they drop dead. They dropped dead, not because they didn't give everything that they had, but they dropped dead because they lied to God in an effort to look good to others. So should you tithe? You shouldn't tithe because you're manipulated to. And you shouldn't tithe because you want to look good to other people. And you shouldn't tithe because you think it makes you any more righteous with God. Because Jesus has already done that for us. Those factors aside, should we be generous people? Absolutely, 100% yes. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, 5 through 7, So I thought I would send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not given grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So I like this illustration. You've got a handful of seeds that God has given you. That's what he's provided for you through your work, through your inheritance, whatever it may be, God has blessed you with a handful of seeds. Now you decide what you want to do with those seeds. You may want to roast some up and eat them. That would be delicious. You may want to take some of those seeds and just save them for a rainy day. 
Or you may want to take those seeds and plant them. But whatever you decide to do is going to determine what is ahead of you. So if you want to take them all and eat them, you want to save them, that's fine. But you can't be frustrated when you don't have crops that are growing if you don't plant the seeds of what God has given you. So quickly, to wrap up this question, I do want to answer this personally. Tiffany and I have given 10% since the days we were first married. And I don't say that braggadociously, but I want to say that because I want to be transparent as your leader. If I'm saying this is good for you, I better be living it myself. And because we have given, because we're determined to live this out ourselves, we do this for several reasons. Number one, because it honors God. It's part of our worship just as much as the songs we sing, as when we read scripture, as when we share the word of God. It is part of our worship to give unto God what he has already given to us. We give because God had already given it to us anyway. It came from him in the first place, right? If I were to pull $100 out of my pocket right now, should I? No, I'm not going to. If I pull $100, I'm sitting very close. I think you should. Yeah. <laughs> if I if I had $100 in my pocket, if I pulled $100 out of my pocket and I want to pick one of you guys and say I want to give this to you today with just one condition, will you give me back $10? Not a single one of you would have a problem with that because you just walked away with $90, right? We're all right with that. When it comes down to it, God has given us the money that we have anyway. I give because I trust God. I trust that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he said he would do. I give because I trust my church. I trust the church that I'm a part of will be wise stewards of the finances that we have been given. If you don't trust the church that you're attending, there's a problem. Your church should be a church of financial integrity. I give because I have faith. I have faith that God can do more with me with 90% in my hands than I could do with 100% in my hands. I believe that God can cause a crop to grow and he can cause it to multiply. I give because I've seen God's faithfulness. This Since Tiffany and I have been married, we've seen God provide over and over and over again in ways that we never would have expected. Even the very fact that I'm up here before you today is just another testimony of how God has worked within our lives as we honored him. And lastly, I give because I want my kids to see how faithful God is. I want them to grow up and say, you know what? We saw God provide for mom and dad. Remember this? Remember this? Remember this? Uh, our oldest daughter is about to go off to Stephen F. Austin next fall. And when she was looking at all the numbers, she said, mom, dad, this is really expensive. And both Tiffany and I said to her, when has God not provided for us? We're going to be okay. Do I have all the answers of how that's going to work out? No. But we've trusted God over and over again, and He has always met our need. So that's why we give. We've seen His goodness. It's a no-brainer to us. The bottom line of tithing is it's a heart issue. It's about your worship and you trusting God. And the Old Testament challenge still rings true. God says, I dare you. 
I dare you offer to sometimes a non-pastoral perspective on this really complicated issue. I have a lifetime of stories of God's faithfulness because of my faithfulness and tithing. And if you ever want to have a conversation about that, feel free to reach out to me. You can find me after church or email me at Heather at Rock Hills and we'll connect on that a little bit more. Awesome. Next question. Why do I really need to go to church? Mm, that's another good one. And I would say a little bit of semantics here that gives this question a wrong perspective is it's another have-to question, right? Those have-to questions sometimes are like, what is really the minimum that I can do and still be loved by God and approved by God? Remember, we already established God loves you no matter what. Will he love you if you're not in church? Yes. It doesn't stop him from loving you. So why do you need to be here on Sunday morning? I want to remind you, this building, we know it's a school, we meet here on Sunday mornings, this is not the church. Even, hopefully someday when we have a facility, that facility will not be the church. The church is the person sitting in your chair and the people sitting next to you. You are the church. When we see it develop in the book of Acts, it was never a building. It was always the people who were involved in the movement of God. So now let's look at that question through that perspective. Do I need to be a part of the church? If you are a believer, you are supposed to be a part of the community of God involved in the movement of God. Is, is the church perfect? No, because it's filled with imperfect people just like you and I who are all being redeemed and shaped and forgiven and convicted. And God is working on all of our hearts. But God desires for all of us to be a part of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 describes the church as the body of Christ. And it says that every part of the body is important. So let's look at this question again. Am I supposed to be a part of the church? Are the parts of your body supposed to be a part of your body? Absolutely. They all serve a function. They all have a purpose. They were all designed specifically to be a part of the body. So yes, God has a plan and a purpose and a place for every single one of you within the body of Christ. The purpose of the church is important. It was the only institution that Jesus ever started. It says this in Hebrews 10, 25. <clears throat> and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Jesus says, this is important. Don't neglect this. And I realize in 2018, you have a million things going on. It's part of the culture that we live in. But God says, don't forget how important it is that we gather together so that we encourage one another, so that we pray for one another, so that we worship together, so that we grow together. That's why it's important that we come together in church, in this setting, so that we can worship and grow together for your sake, but also for the sake of the people around you. Because as God changes you, he's going to use that to help somebody else who's sitting next to you, sitting down the road down the row from you. So is it important that you go to church? Yes, it is. It's important because Jesus said it was important because he put it into place. What do we have next? 
Pastor Adam, you've talked openly about your desire to find Rock Hills a permanent home. We've even heard it a couple times today. You even encouraged us during the 40-day prayer challenge to pray mm-hmm. for that as a church. So the question is, why do you think we need a facility? Well, first of all, I want to say that it is near miraculous that this church has survived 10 years being a mobile church. And I say that not because I don't see how you guys made it, but statistically, churches who are mobile, they don't last more than just a few years, two to three years. And you guys lasting this long in this setting and showing up here every Sunday morning is a testament to what God is doing here. So I do want to take just a second out. Gilbert, would you stand up, please? He didn't know I was going to ask him to. And everybody else who helps in set up and tear down, would you stand up for a second? Big round of applause to these people. Thank you, guys. I told Gilbert uh, probably a month or so ago, this church would not have made it if it wasn't for him and his team because it's hard to tear it up and eh, tear it up. Set it up and tear it down every week and do this over and over again. You guys have kept this church going in many ways. So thank you. Having a permanent facility gives us a lot of advantages. Now, I know that's not necessarily easy and it may mean sacrifice, but it's time for us as we near this 10-year mark to say, where are we going to be the next 10 years, the next 20 years? And my desire is that Rock Hills Church is going to be a church that has a strong foundation for generation after generation to come. And a facility is going to give us that stability to be able to do that and meet many needs in every way. Now, remember the question we just answered? Remember, the church is not the building. The church is really never, the building is never the answer You are the church. And so it's important for us to remember that the building is just a tool, a tool to make the vision happen. I think back to Hurricane Harvey, and you remember that hurricane wipes out Rockport, and then it moves on to Houston, and it's just like all the water in the world all of a sudden is in Houston. And the amazing thing was boat after boat after boat after boat after boat lined up to go into Houston. Now, that effort was never about the boat, right? It was the people who were driving the boats to find everybody that they could that was in danger to say, hey, come on, get in the boat. They never would have been able to do that without having the tool to do it. What I want you to understand about a facility is it's not about the boat. It's not about the building. It's about us getting a tool that makes us more effective to say, hey, everybody you can, we want to rescue you from the life that's surrounding you and introduce you to Jesus. So the building in many ways helps us to love God at a greater level, love others at a greater level, help people find and follow Jesus as far as programs and and, and functions that we're able to offer to so many people. Two last questions. All right, I'll be quick. How can I grow in my faith? All right, so... You guys have heard us talk many times about our purpose statement. Love God, love others, help people find and follow Jesus. And I really will make this one really quick. 
To me, I've been asking for the last year, okay, so how do we really do that? How do we lay that out so that people can, so that you can love God better, you can love others better, help people find and follow Jesus better? And I want to kind of break it down into three categories, which really you guys are already doing, but we want to start intentionally as a church staff and leaders looking at how we can make this process better. And that is number one, relationship, number two, discipleship, number three, leadership. We want to be a church that connects with people in relationship, just like this event we have coming up at the Hasler House, Steaks and Stogies, this Friday night. That event is to develop relationships with people who may never come through the doors of these church or help us get to know each other, who never talk to each other on a Sunday morning because our paths don't cross. We want to have all kinds of opportunities for you to develop strong relationships with each other, and we want to then be able to take the next step of saying, how do we grow in our faith? And we want to help you to grow in your faith through discipleship, and then that moves on to leadership of then the tables turn, and now you are helping people to grow in relationship, and you're helping them to grow in discipleship, and that process just continues on and on and on. So how do we grow in our faith? We do it relationship, discipleship, leadership. Look over the next year, we're going to open up some opportunities for all of those steps to take place. Last question. How can I know God's will for my life? How can you know God's will for your life? That is another big question that I think we all ask at some point. We've got some great students that are about to graduate high school, and so I'm sure that's crossed their mind as well, because we make big decisions. What college am I going to go to? Who am I going to marry? Should I take this job? Should I resign? I mean, we've got all of these questions that can really alter the course of your life, and so maybe it's just in the little things. How am I going to spend my time today? Or maybe it's the big things in life, like marriage and college and moving and all those things. How do we know what God wants for our life? My simple answer is, number one, you got to be reading the Bible. And number two, you need to be praying. Number three, you need to be surrounded by people who are going to speak wisdom and godly advice into your life. But to answer this question in greater detail, the truth is, God doesn't want it to be a mystery to you. Where you're just like, okay, do I pick number door number one, number two, or number three? I hope I pick the right one and don't mess up my life. The good news is... God wants you to know what his will for your life is, which leads me to the cliffhanger. We're finishing this series, Hot Seat, but next week we're going to start a new series called Connected. And Connected is the fact that you are connected to God, and as we spend time with him, God can reveal his will for your life. So I want to encourage you to come these next few weeks as we talk about the access we have to God. We talk about how to hear God's voice in our life and how he can direct our path in all that we do. This series has been really fun for us as a staff to prepare for you. We've gone to places we might not have gone, but it's been really inspiring to know what you're thinking and wrestling with. So I want to leave the door open to you. Even though the series is closing, your questions influence what we teach. So if you have any more hot seat questions, you can keep them coming. You can email them to me at heather at rockhills.com, and we'll use them to influence our teaching series. All right. Thank you guys so much for being here today. I want to close with a word of prayer and just pray for you guys uh, as you continue to search and ask questions and grow in your faith. Also, our prayer team will be available immediately after the service. If we can pray for you specifically, we would love to pray for you. So would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, 
Thank you, Lord, that you don't just leave us on our own, but Father, you yourself want to address the issues and struggles that we have. And Lord, I thank you above all that you know us by name. Your word says you know the numbers of hairs upon our head. Father, that you know us personally and you desire for us to be your children hidden in Christ. You may be here today and you know you're, you're separated from God. You need to come back to God or maybe you just need to surrender your life to him today. If that's you, I, I encourage you just in your own words and heart, would you take just a moment to say, God, I give you my struggles, I give you my defensiveness, and Father, I need you in my life. Would you take just a moment, pray to God in your own words. Lord, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die for my sins, that I could be hidden in Christ as a son and a daughter of Christ. Father, we are yours. Thank you that we are new creations, made new, Father, as we give our hearts to you. Lord, we love you. I speak your blessings, Father, over every family and every individual here, the children, the adults, Father. And Lord, I pray that your blessing is upon them as they go out into our communities and at our jobs. Lord, that the light of Christ would shine through us. Father, as we continue to grow in you, Lord, that you shine even brighter. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.